This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's no secret women are underrepresented in the trades. But Keen Utility is helping to change that by powering the SheBuilds grant program, which provides access to quality trade skills education for girls and women, and by making work boots and shoes that are designed for women's feet and tested by real tradeswomen on the ground. Because with the right gear and support, more women will shift the way the world is built and run. Keen Utility. Tradeswomen tested. Visit keenfootwear.com slash tradeswomen tested. Listen to the West Amway podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi. Hello and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself, Dave Walker, and XWHU employee. This week we talk about England getting off to a winning start in the Euros before naming our all-time best West Ham 11 based on players that never played for their country. We also talk to the winner of the West Ham Way Premier League predictions competition, get the latest news from X, and answer questions from patrons of the West Ham Way. That's all coming up on tonight's show. X from Irons to Lions, a winning start for the boys today. Yeah, it was good. I, th- I thought it was, you know, it wasn't the world's greatest performance, but at the end of the day, it was against the World Cup finalists. You know, people say they're not the same team, but they've still got essentially some of the same players, including Luka Modric, who, you know, is a, is a world-class um, player. Um, I thought... You know, they played well. I thought they created up opportunities, stopped Croatia having many and did what they needed to do. You know, we haven't won a, a Euros game, first Euros game in history. So to beat our main group rivals convincingly, I thought I, I was happy with it, to be honest with you. I must admit, when a team was... Um, leaked, which, you know, the amount of stick I get if we put in a team out like 15 minutes before the official announcement. Um, you seem to be able to find out the England team like days <laughs> before anyway. But once I saw the leaked team that Trippier was left back and Phillips was playing and, you know, I also thought that maybe Grealish should be in it. I, I thought uh, it's not maybe the team I'd have gone for, but when you see the see how they played, I don't think you can grumble really. I think it was decent. So have we never won an opening fixture in the Euros? 
Wow, fucking no, hell, I didn't know that. I kept saying in the game, and I, and I think, to be fair, the only Euros I could really reflect upon, I can't remember us winning the first game. You know, I remember us playing France in one of them that we didn't win. Obviously, Euro 96, I think we drew with Switzerland, was it, maybe? Um, I think we lost to Ireland in one. I seem to remember that. That might have been 1988, possibly. Um, so, I, yeah, I, as far as I know, we, we haven't. I'm pretty sure that was the stat that they... They gave a Euro 2000. Who would we have played then? Don't remember. I think I don't remember us winning that one either. Yeah. I know we didn't qualify from the groups, did we? Because Phil Neville gave a, gave um, uh, a penalty away, didn't they? I'm struggling to remember, mate, if I'm honest. Um, I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. But that's blown me away, that stat. I didn't realise that. And I actually obviously watched the game like everyone else today. And I don't remember him saying <laughs> it on commentary. I, I think that was the the, the whiskey yeah. and coke, to be honest with you. I haven't had a part to play. But no, like you, I, I, you know, like I say, it wasn't the best performance in the world. But we got the job done against a solid side with a good reputation. I thought, you know, this side really is a side that's being built for the future. And I think Southgate needs a degree of patience because of that. I like what he's doing there. I like the fact that we've gone from the sort of old guard of England that would always, before a game, sit on the Man United table, the Chelsea table, the Arsenal table. They're all, you know, mixing together. They've got a good unity there, I think, at England. And there's some really good young players there, really good young players, a lot of talent. And I thought that we started really, really well. I thought Phillips was brilliant to be fair. I thought Tyro Mings, which was a bit of a question mark for me, played really well. Um, I thought Deck done okay, done his job, um, what was asked yeah. of him. And I think really we could have and should have killed the game off more than we did. But um, look, to win the opening game is massive, really, psychologically. To go into your second game already having three points under your belt is... Well, you pretty much so qualified anyway, because I think don't three go through. So, um, so I think by winning one anyway, we're pretty much qualified anyhow, unless obviously it's a, a random twist of events. But I think that win's huge. It was it was Portugal we lost to in Euro 2000. I remember we were winning, but Manaman I think scored, and then it was then Figo. I seem to remember playing brilliant for them. But anyway, yeah, I, I think I think it's a great it's a great start. You know, Croatia are the the main rivals in that group. You know, obviously we've got quite a difficult group. So I think Czech Republic were a decent. You know, particularly with the two West Ham players, and then you know you never know what's going to happen when you play Scotland. So um, mm. I think the win against Croatia, which is the best team in the group um, alongside us, hopefully, um, is is massive. And like you say, I think those players you picked out played well. I think Phillips played well because of Declan. So yes, Declan didn't maybe have his most influential game, but I think Phillips was able to beat, he was my man of the match. And I would say it was because Declan allowed him to be that further forward and that creative and know he had him behind him. And just Declan just protected the back for so well and then enabled the midfield to play well. I thought Foden looked decent. It's a shame didn't score that goal um, where he hit the post. But I, I think it's a good start, mate. I really do. And, you know, mm. the people, and I did notice, and I don't mean to dig them out, that a lot of the people saying this were younger fans. So they don't know the sort of pain and heartbreak that you have as an England fan in the tournament. But as I said, with that stat, you know, England never won the first game. This is a good platform to build on. You know, if we can beat Scotland on Friday, then realistically, against the Czech Republic we don't even have to we can almost rest players for that game we can alternate mm. which should be which should be useful as well um, so I, I like the squad I mean obviously I was surprised we played he originally picked four right backs but I think 
I think if Maguire can get fit as well, centre-back pairing is much more improved with him in the team. And I think I he's a decent teammate. The fact that you've got likes of Sancho and Grealish and um, Rashford and players like that sitting on the bench, you know, I think they're, they're game-changers waiting to come on. Um, I agree that Sterling should have played. I think Sterling got a lot of stick for starting, but he always seems to play well for Southgate and for England. And yes, he may not have had the best season for Man City this year, but Man City did win the league, did win a cup and did get to the Champions League final when he played in um, most of those games. So he can't have been that bad. Um, and yeah, I, I think, I mean, yeah, well done, England. Yeah, it's been a good day, mate. It's been a good mm. day, which is in contrast to yesterday because yesterday was fucking horrible, X, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, do you know what? I've watched every single Euros game apart from that one and I started watching it. I watched the first maybe five, ten minutes and I thought, yeah, I think this might be a nil-nil game and obviously it was the five o'clock kickoff as well. So I had to start cooking dinner and getting things ready for the family and that. And so I thought, right, do you know what? Kids were nagging me to watch TV. So I sacrificed the game for Fireman Sam and, um, and actually I'm quite <laughs> glad because I didn't I didn't see it live and then you know my phone was in my pocket and I was cooking a dinner or whatever and just sort of I don't know thinking about things or whatever I just took my phone out when I had a spare second and I had loads of notifications you know you can see on your home screen loads of text messages whatsapp twitter things and so on and I thought oh god what's happened I was usually West Ham you know I thought like either I've got something wrong but I was thinking well what could that have been you know like Moyes has definitely signed the contract and then I was thinking well maybe we've signed someone and it's suddenly been announced or something but um yeah it was really sad to sort of log on and then like it didn't you know i already i saw the footage quite quickly after that as whenever you go on social media sadly when things like this happen people retweet it don't they and share it around and stuff as sick as that is so i saw the footage of it and yeah absolutely awful heartbreaking stuff but obviously thankfully he appears to be okay and that he's going to recover from it and then when that happens you try to look at the sort of positives that if there are any that came out of it. And I think the sort of the way the players reacted, obviously the stories that have emerged about their captain and how Schmeichel handled it um, are really good. How the referee, you know, English referee that I don't particularly rate, but he handled the situation quite well. And the sort of unity that this has brought between football fans, you know, to take sometimes things like this to sort of make you appreciate things. And, as people have said, it probably the best place for it to happen to him in a, in a stadium where they have the medical facilities. But then obviously the horrible for him to have the limelight put on him like he did. But yeah, thankfully he appears to be okay. So yeah, mm. it's much better than it looked at the time. Yeah, I'm actually the opposite to you because I I don't watch the other games in this competition. Mm. I only really focus on England. And, uh, you know, I think people know that my levels of passion for England are minimal compared to West Ham. But when it gets to a major tournament, I get as excited as everyone else. So I was really looking forward to the game today. And I don't watch other games. That said, it was really strange because um, yesterday we we bought a barbecue from home base and uh, I had to build it in the garden. And it was going fucking wrong and I was getting the right arse with it and I ended up kicking the fucking shit out of it, then storming off in a right fucking paddy and thought, fuck this, I need some time on my own just to shut off because I've got the right arm, I'll put the telly on. Um, and, uh, and a Denmark game was on and no word of a lie, within about four minutes, that happened. So I watched it live and, uh, mate, when he went down, 
the way he went down, you know, under no pressure whatsoever, you just knew straight away something wasn't right. Well, do you know what? Someone made a good point in a way that such is the sorry state of the game now. Had that been a little, I don't know, tussle between two players or whatever, you'd have thought he was diving at first. Yeah. Which is the way football is so sad. Now, like, in a way, it helps that it happened with no one around him because people knew there was no reason for him to throw himself down, so to speak. Spot on. And the fact that there wasn't just made it so obvious that something was wrong. Mm. And, um, you know, like the the way the ref immediately waved the medical team over, the players nearby. And it was just haunting, like haunting and harrowing. And I went cold. I literally went cold because the players started crying. The fans started crying. Um, the, the footage, I mean, how the fuck the BBC allowed that level of footage is beyond me, but they did. So you got to see more than you probably should have done. So you got to see the state that he was in and the severity of it, which was absolutely awful. And the strangest thing, you know, X, um, once I'd realised what was going on and I saw the, the kind of resuscitation of him, everything I had the ump about just disappeared. I know it sounds corny, but subconsciously, everything I had the arse about just completely disappeared. And I stopped being angry because I just thought, fucking, there's a geezer there fighting for his life and I'm worried about putting together a fucking home-based barbecue, you know? He he just puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Well, that's uh, it. And people, people, you know, you're right, it puts it into perspective and people sometimes need those things to put things into perspective. mm. You know, it is is very easy to get worked up about a barbecue or whatever because you get worked up with the things that are immediately in front of you. But the the thing to always think, I, I always find when I'm sort of in these situations is that there is some going through a lot worse than you are in that situation you know yeah. it sounds stupid but sometimes i'm driving to work and i think oh fuck, so i really don't want to go i can't can't be bothered you know i'm just gonna get moaned at etc 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 and then i'm driving and i'm thinking well imagine if i was a soldier in the second world war and i was on the boats to you know during d-day <laughs> you know they wouldn't want to do that either i'd imagine most of them and yet the consequences of doing that are far worse than my day type thing. So yeah. there's always there's always something that is worse in some ways, and sometimes it takes that to to do it to you. And I think social media sometimes you lose you lose a bit of reality as to what people are going through. You know, people mm. you know people don't know what other people's lives are in a and a Twitter account that. <laughs> you know, is anonymous or whatever. You don't know what those people are going through and you can hurl abuse at them every day because you don't think about it. But actually, people are going through a lot. And I think you're right. Sometimes things like that just put everything into perspective, don't they? They do. Yeah, they really do. And I'm just really pleased that he's on the mend because honestly, mate, I mean, I'm stating the obvious here. He was fucking banging trouble and, and I fully expected to hear the worst. Well, they reckon um, he did. They reckon it off from what I've read today that he did die like there. Yeah, no but doubt. He was obviously recovered. No thankfully, doubt. But, um, and, and it also, they, they're crediting the captain. I think his name's Kjar, Kjar or something. Yeah, I don't know, not my yeah. Danish, but my pronunciation are like, but he apparently got him in the recovery position, made sure he hadn't swallowed his tongue. And then like, you know, put him started to do the resuscitation process and they reckon that that may have contributed to saving his life now for me the important thing and i retweeted a couple of um twitter accounts that have done this apparently one of them's justin edinburgh's um you know he died as well unfortunately yep. playing in a charity game so i think his family um have set up uh, a funding for him is to have the defibrillate defibrillate i can't say it defibrillators at all sort of sports venues and stuff and i think i think that's so important and i think the re- referees especially need to and maybe the officials and maybe 
even like members of the of the of a uh, of the teams should be trained on how to handle these situations going forward. You know, you look at Mark Vivian Foe, who sadly mm. didn't have the um the sort of reaction um in the ground that uh that maybe could have saved his life. Um and and I think if if he had maybe done that in the Premier League as opposed to where he was. I mean, obviously it's speculation. I don't want to say things that aren't true, that he might have had a different chance at, at surviving. So I think it's just so important that from this we learn that it can happen to anyone. You know, these are elite sportsmen we're talking about here. So it can happen to anyone at, you know, Power League or at a squash court, as you and I have been, you oh, know, God, experienced yeah. at times. So I think all of these sports venues, it should be law almost that you have to have one and you have to have trained members of staff that know how to to use it yeah spot on mate absolutely spot on but obviously we wish him well the whole world wishes him well and um, our thoughts are with him and his family so good luck to him and I hope his recovery is um, well Mm-hmm. is uh, as strong as it can be and as, as quickly as it can be because uh, mm-hmm. no one deserves to go through that. And like I say, that was haunting to watch. So um, good luck to him. Right, X, we're going to pick our best all-time West Ham start 11 with the rules being you can only pick players that have never played for their country. Youth caps are okay, but no senior appearances. We've both picked our sides. We don't know who each other has selected. So let's compare. Starting with the formation next, what did you go with? Well, I was really, really torn. So I think I'm going to have to make this decision as the discussions go, because the way I looked at it, I found that I could find better strikers and central midfielders than I necessarily could wingers. So I almost thought I'd go with like a 4-3-3, but like a narrow sort of midfield where you have central midfielders as opposed to wingers. But then there are a couple of good wingers I thought of and also generally when you do these things you tend to do 442 don't you so I yeah. can adapt I'm going to adapt as the discussion goes on I think okay so I'm going to go for a 442 I'm not making okay. excuses early on because I'll be honest I am kind of living in fear that I'm going to be kicking myself during this conversation because I have put this together quite quickly um but I am going to go for a 442 starting with the goalkeeper now the only thing I think we know about each other is that we both really struggled in this position, haven't we? Yeah, well, do you know what is really think like I was going through my head of all the goalkeepers that I've watched at West Ham, right? And I was going through all of them, starting with like who the current keeper is. I'm like Fabianski, right? He's a Polish international. Then before him, Adrian. Um, oh, actually, I didn't even think of him. <laughs> Sorry, that's just someone I hadn't thought of that I can add because he wasn't <laughs> capped by Spain, was he? So I've actually talked myself into one there. Uh, but then I was going through like you know, then who was before him, and then I was like Robert, like you know, just going through them in my head, Yaskalina. Finish, Roy, uh, Rob Green, um, English, you know, Shaka Hislop, Trinidad, David James, English, like every keeper, even Roy Carroll, Northern Ireland. And I'm thinking, mm. geez, I can't think of any keepers here. But and, and annoyingly, Phil Parks made one appearance for England. And there was actually a couple of players that only made one, you know, or a couple of appearances for England that ruled them out, which, you know, obviously Phil Parks has been a, a good one. And there was a few others that made like one appearance for England. But anyway, Aside from just adding Adrian, like I have, I narrowed it down to Jimmy Walker, Stephen Bywater, and then a little bit more old school um, in Mervyn Day. Now, 
I have never seen Mervyn Day play, so it's a bit hard to actually judge from a personal opinion. Um, I've heard that when he played, when he first broke in as a youngster, he was amazing, um, and then he lost his confidence. That's what I've been told by my dad and stuff. So, so I was torn between those four, and I hadn't actually thought of Adrian, to be fair, but I was torn between the other three, and I'm still torn now. Who, who have you gone for? Well, just quickly, on Adrian... Um, it says that he had one cap for Andalusia. Oh, really? At senior level. Now, I, I, that is somehow linked with Spain. I don't know if it's a different fucking word for Spain. No, it's I don't a, it's know. It's a That's... region in Spain. Right. Okay. So that apparently is his senior cap. So it's a bit of a grey area, X, oh, I'll yeah. be honest. Well, but I think we might have to leave. Judging that. by Wikipedia, mm. well, I was going to say, judging by Wikipedia, if we err on the side of caution, it looks like he has had a senior cap. Yeah, in the no, no, I'm level. just looking at there now. They've played so Andalusia is like an area in Spain. It's a bit like Catalonia, where Barcelona is and stuff. And I think also um, Basque region. You know, I think what team is it? Is it Bilbao? Maybe you can only pick, they can only and this is still goes on in their league. They can only pick players that come from the Basque region, which makes them quite a unique football club and amazing that they still do really well wow. to be fair so yeah let's rule him out because that makes things easier then because um yeah so for me it's between walker bywater and day um and i think based upon that and i think it's largely because i never saw him play that i'm ruling out mervyn day so i can't say for certain how good he was I mean, i'm going to go with jimmy walker mainly and i think also the personality that he brings to proceedings as well yeah, yeah, I get that. I mean, I had exactly the same struggles as you. Every decent keeper I can remember for West Ham played for their country. Yeah. So I actually went for a goalkeeper, a bit like what you're saying about Mervyn Day, because I looked at Mervyn, and then I actually looked further afield than Mervyn. So I cannot tell you really anything about this man. I'm judging this on black and whites, right? It's Ernie Gregory. And you might laugh no, at that. No, because, no, no, I've heard he's a good keeper. Yeah. Well, well, I've heard he's a good keeper as well, but that's all I've heard. That's all I know of him. I've never seen him kick a football for West Ham, but he did have 382 appearances for us. And he once played for the England B team, but never the senior side. Mm. So I think for that reason, I think he edges it for me, X. I'm going to put Ernie yeah. goal. I think I'm going to agree with you, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm looking at him now on Wikipedia. I mean, his last game for West Ham was in 1959. So, yep. I mean, obviously, yep. way before the majority of, of the fans. Were there. Um, he lived to 90, um, played his whole career at West Ham, 382 yeah. appearances. Bit of a legend, really, when you look well, at it. Well, I think so, mate. Do you know what? And, I, and I'm disappointed that my knowledge didn't extend extend to actually um thinking of him and i think you're right i mean someone has played that many games for west ham and obviously he would have been playing at the end of the 50s when the likes of you know ken brown and mm. bobby moore and people like that were starting to make their names so i think i think i'm going to go with you if that's okay so which will come up with like maybe a combined 11 maybe i don't yeah. know but I, I think yeah let's get let's throw him in and you can't argue with someone that's played for the club that many times no, I totally agree. And we signed him from Leytonstone, would you Yeah, agree? I know, exactly. Interesting. I mean, looking at him here, signed him from Leytonstone, he's born in Stratford. There's like proper West Ham and died in, Bas- <laughs> died in Basildon. So, you know, yeah. proper, proper West Ham lad. So I think it's, um, I think it's deserved for him to be, to be the one. Um, And then I think he stayed. Oh yeah, look, there you go. He stayed on to coach the club until 1987. So, did he? Yeah. Apparently, according wow, to Wikipedia, looks like Yarmolenko's just scored against Holland. 
Apparently, it's a really good goal. Oh, what a really? game. That's so typical. Well, the second game I haven't watched. Yeah, he scored in the 75th minute. Um, and uh, the guy that um, that we're linked with as well, Wout Verhaust, which I told you about last, <laughs> last week, has, has actually scored for Holland as well. Wow. Interesting okay. game, 2 all. Interesting. Yeah. Is it really to all? Yeah, yeah. There oh, you okay. Go. So, um, give us your right back X. So, uh, right backs. I was um, torn between um, uh, two. Really, the two that I could come up with, and I'm worried now because you pulled out Ernie Gregory that I've missed someone. Um, but I was looking through. Obviously, you talk about Ray Stewart, but he played for Scotland. Um, you talk about. Uh, well, it's mainly him, isn't it? Is the most famous, I guess, right back for West Ham. Um, so I went between either Timmy Breaker or Sebastian Chamel. Um, yep. and I think Chamel as Chamel, sorry, as much I don't know why I'm pronouncing it differently, Chamel. Um, actually, as much as we loved him on the podcast, um, and was brilliant for that one year as Hammer of the Year, uh, Breaker, who we also have had on the podcast, was a consistent player throughout the 90s. And the, fir- the first signing I can ever West- remember. West Ham making was him um, like properly when I was a fan because that was Billy Bond's first signing and then he played pretty much up till 1999 I think something like that so I think for that reason I'm going to go Tim Breaker Okay so I had Shemel mm. as well um, I did think about Timmy Breaker and I think you make a very fair argument for Tim and one that's difficult to argue against I just go back to Shemel being Hammer of the Year been absolutely incredible for that one season. And he was, he was absolutely phenomenal. And I also wanted to mix it up a little bit because without giving it away, I, I don't actually have too many foreign players in this team. Do I? So, no. So I kind of, I leant towards him, but if you've got an overwhelming desire to put Tim at right back, mate, and we're doing a combined 11, I, I, I would be happy to. Well, I just think that whilst, like you said, whatever you, what you said about Shemmer is spot on as well. I just think that Breaker did it over. Like, sort of the whole of the 90s pretty much and had had um had he been you know, I think he was close to England honours. I think he might have played for the under twenty ones and stuff. And I think he he just was a lot so much more consistent. I mean you know Schemmel had that one really good year and then didn't really do much after that, did he? So um, I think as much as we love Sebastian, and I've actually texted him this weekend again because I'm interested to see his take on a few things. Uh, he is a really good lad as well, but then Tim was a good lad as well. We had him on too. Um, I just mm. think Breaker, who he played that many times for the club in the top flight, um, I just think he gets it for me. Okay. I mean, I'm... <sighs> practically split between the two. So if you're convinced on Tim, let's go with that. Okay. Let's go with that. Left back's not gonna be not be gonna be this split, surely. No, of course it ain't. It's obvious, isn't it? Yeah, it's Julian. There's no one else that can compete. I mean Frank Lampard is the one that competes in people's all time eleven, but he played a couple of times for England. Um as far as he did, didn't he? I have got that right. Yeah, I think he played yeah, like once did, or twice yeah. or so. Um so it's gotta be Julian, hasn't it? There's no one else. I didn't even bother once Julian came up, I didn't even bother to think of anyone else, to be honest with you. No, no, it, it picked itself. Didn't it? And there are in my team three positions that pick themselves, and this is one of them. And to think that Julian ultimately didn't get in that team because of his hair, 
I mean, fucking hell, in 2021, can you ever imagine a manager making a decision like that and it going public? No, oh, no. chance. It's absolutely um, ludicrous, isn't but, it? But they're lost because Julian was, well, Julian was Julian, wasn't he? Just my all-time favourite player for West Ham. Just yeah. fucking different class, different class. I mean, obviously, he epitomised West Ham. He was my modern-day Billy Bonds, if you like, because I was too young to see Billy play in his peak. Um, but he could play as well. A bit like Billy, he could play. What a player. Wonderful yeah. effort. So, uh, no, it picks itself. Dix is in at left-back, 100%. Yeah. Um, so we get to the centre-halves. Yeah, now I found this possibly the hardest position, if I'm honest with you, alongside keeper. Um, so I started to go through people, and these are some of the ones I came up with. I came up with Tony Gale, um, Steve Potts, James Tompkins, Ian Pierce, Anton Ferdinand. And, I, and in my head, I'm thinking, oh, there's got to be others. But every time I thought of someone, I was like, no, they did play for England, or no, they played for this country, or no, they played for that country. And, I, and they were the only ones I could really come up with, unless there's someone glaringly obvious that you're going to say that I missed. I mean, I even looked up the likes of Ken Brown Senior, but he played like twice for England or something. Um, and I looked up other players from like the 60s and the 70s, and most of them had got a cap at some level so yeah that was between some of them yeah well for me it was the first two that you mentioned tony gale yeah. and steve potts well that's why i put it in that order because they were my two as well um, I, yeah those two because i thought tony gale you know played um in the 86 season um did he play 1980 cup final uh, uh no i think no. he joined just yeah he was just after didn't he um so um yeah but he went on to play for west ham went into the 90s you know i remember him playing for west ham and stuff um so yeah he um he was uh he, he had to come in, you know, he was at West Ham for 10 years, I think, made about 300-odd appearances, um, very classy centre-back, part of that 86 team. Um, mm. So he had to get it. And then Steve Potts... Premier League winner as well, eh? Yeah, very true. And then Steve Potts, you know, he played... Um, played consistently again through the late 80s and early 90s and I think when I was growing up as a kid you know it's a really big part of my, my growing up I mean there was talk I don't know if you remember because he was actually born in the United States wasn't he yeah. um, so yeah. there was talk that he was actually going to represent USA but um, never did and I mean such a good player that as a centre back he was only he was like my height like 5 foot 7 or something you know like he and I'm actually slightly bigger than 5 foot 7 so I remember do you remember that time randomly that we went to um what's that club called? That famous oh, one. Oh fucking hell, Sugar Heart in Sugar Heart, yeah, yeah. Do you remember oh, when we went to Sugar Heart? So we'd been to a West Ham sort of I don't know if we should say too much, it might give away some of the people we know, but we've been to someone's, you know, birthday, been to someone's party, birthday party and, and who is associated with West Ham. And at that birthday party, there were West Ham people, including Steve Potts. And, you know, we've been drinking with him. He was a good lad, et cetera, et cetera. And then we, and then we went to go to Sugar Hut randomly, as you do. He was in Brentwood and uh, we went to Sugar Hut. We we're lining up and it was just taking ages, wasn't it? And, um, and we got to the mm. front of the queue and he wasn't allowed in because he had trainers. And we were like, we were saying yeah. to the bouncers, come on, mate. This guy's paid like 400 times on West Ham and stuff. You got, you got to let him in. And, you know, Potsy was the typical <laughs> Potsy, really quite shy and stuff, wasn't he? And he just walked off. And yeah. I don't think we bothered to yeah. go in either, did we? We just sat and we just no. followed Potsy off. And, that was that. Uh, and I'll tell you what, if you remember rightly, it was fucking freezing yes. that night. And we were queuing up for about 45 minutes. Yes, yes. Um, and I can only think that the bouncer was a fucking Tottenham fan because, uh, you know, not letting Stevie Potts in, giving him the benefit of the doubt. If it was a West Ham fan, you would do, wouldn't yeah. you? But you're quite right. He had trainers on. So 
Thanks, Steve. You fucked it for everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you remember also a funny story about Steve Potts? He was due to make his 400th league appearance for um, West Ham in his final game of the season. Um, and Rhoda didn't bring him on as a sub. And he never made his 400 appearances. He's played 399 times to West Ham. Oh, wow. And no, I didn't know that, actually. I didn't realise that. Yeah, I, was, I remember being pissed off of that at the time. But um, That's bang out of order, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you could argue for Ian Pearce. Maybe he was very good at his peak, I thought. Ian Pearce, late 90s. Um, yeah. And Tom Ferdinand was a decent player. James Tompkins was good. But, yeah, I think it's got to be Gallon Potts. Um, I think so. But do, do you know what blows my mind, X, right? Because I, I obviously doing this... Um, there was a few eyebrow raisers in this, but but no bigger eyebrow raiser for me than Stevie Potts. And obviously you'll get to some of them in a minute where you think, how the hell did he not play for his country? But with Stevie Potts, it's a bit different because I think America have always been well behind when it comes to football, well behind, especially in the 90s. Yeah. I mean, they were shit. I mean, they were scrapping around for anyone. If you're fucking... Dad's brother's mate's dog's fucking dad's neighbour's best mate was American. You'd fucking get him in, wouldn't you? Um, So how the fuck did Stevie Potts, who was a Premier League footballer, not get a fucking call up? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think I think maybe because uh, was he even that keen on playing for them? Though was it him that maybe made that decision? I don't because, know because there would be no reason not to. I mean, I all, all I can remember about USA in the nineties is a few things. It's mainly from the ninety four World Cup when I had Alexi Lalas. Do you remember yeah, him? That yeah, big I remember gingerhead him. guy, and then he was always on fantasy football, like singing songs and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, like, uh, that goatee so, beard, didn't they? Yeah, you know, goatee beard. I remember they had a winger called was it Kobe. J- Jones, was that his name? Cody Jones. Cody's, yeah, and he went to Coventry, didn't That's he? That's right. And Roy Wegerly. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah. was knocking around. It was also um, Coventry, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it was Coventry, QPR. Didn't he play for Blackburn as well? Um, so uh, they had players like that, and they had um, John Harks, who was obviously a West Ham player at one point. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, but, so yeah, Potts would have walked into their team. So they always had good goalkeepers, though. If you think back, like they've had uh, Casey Keller, Tim Howard, Brad Friedel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was a decent keeper, but yeah, I um, I uh, don't know why, mate. I really don't know because we signed a couple of American. We had um, obviously Harks. We had Ian Foyer. What was that? Was that his name? Ian Foyer. Remember yeah, that goalkeeper, yeah. six yeah, foot seven guy, was really good in mm. Master League football. I seem to remember after, <laughs> yeah. after he left West Ham. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, I don't know why, mate. To be honest with you, but. Yeah, a bit of a surprising one. Uh, maybe enough, or perhaps because we played for England under twenty ones. Maybe so. Maybe it was because um, maybe he um, in those days they weren't allowed to or something like that. Don't know. Who yeah, knows? it must have been something like that. It must have yeah. been strange, really strange. Let's go, let's go right to left now, mate, when we talk about the midfielders. So let's talk about the right wing, assuming we're playing a 4-4-2. And I don't well, know if you have made your mind up on that. Well, yet. I will because you did. So for the sake of the show, let's go 4-4-2 because I was arguing okay. between them. So right midfielders, the ones that I could pull out were Pat Holland, who played loads against West Ham, was meant to be great in the 70s, mm. our buddy Mark Ward, um, obviously yeah. right winger there, Harry Redknapp. Um, again, meant to be very good in his uh, peak, and then I thought, well, Mikel Antonio. Now I was um, I was umming and ahhing as maybe I could play him as a striker, but then I thought, well, if I'm not going to play him as a striker, that frees up a striker position, so I could actually have him on right wing. So they mm. were my they were my options. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't think about that with Mickey, to be honest. I, he, I thought about him for the forward line, but I didn't think about him on the right wing. And you're he, quite right. 
He played, he got into an England squad. So it's always a bit of a grey area. He didn't actually come onto the pitch, though, did he? He got no. into the England squad under Allardyce, I think. And then it's funny how Allardyce slagged him off the other day. But um, yeah, so I, um, I, I went with, um, yeah, I didn't. I, so yeah, I was torn between him and the right wing. So then I was thought, well, maybe I could play him up front. So it was a real big debate whether Antonio should get in or not. And then I thought, well, Pat Holland played for West Ham loads and was meant to be a very good winger. And then obviously our mate Wardy, eighty-six team, Stuart Pearce said he was the hardest player he's ever played against. You know, mm. does mm. he get in? Yeah. So who, who did you? What were your options? I went with Mark Wald. I, okay. I found this one quite easy actually. I think Patsy Holland's a good shout. But I think with Waldy, he was just an absolute workhorse, wasn't he? I mean, he, he was, he was a, a right-back stream, really. I think him and Ray complemented each other so well. And, uh, you know, he would defend from the front. He was a grafter. He had a good cross on him, come up with the odd goal. And was a pivotal part in that 86 season, the famous 86 season. So... Um, I'm going to go for Waldy on that. And for me, that's quite comfortable, actually. Even if we throw Antonio into the mix? I think so, mate. And I don't know if it's because in my mind, I've just convinced myself now on the back of the last couple of seasons that Antonio's a forward. Even though you're quite right, X, he has played on the wing. So this would 100% qualify for Mickey to get in this team on the wing. I just think I'm going to go for Waldy. For me. But then, uh, I don't know, are you overwhelmingly convinced it should be Mickey? No, for the sake of the events as well, I think I should probably go for Woody as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and diplomatic relations and stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe it's best just to not give my opinion just go, and go with Woody because, I mean, he made my short list, definitely. And uh, like you say, I think there was talk a number of times that he should have been in the England team. Um, yeah, and yeah. He, he then went on to play you know, at the top level for Man City and Everton. So it proves mm. that he was... You know, he was a good, a good, very, very good Premier League player because you, you don't play for those teams if you're not. So, mm. yeah, I think let's, let's go with Wardy then. Let's keep him happy. You are, you are. Yeah. Let's go, let's go, <laughs> let's go. Let's keep him happy and stick, stick the little terrier in. Yeah, um, so, I agree. So then on the left wing, I, I came up with a few players. There's going to be one here, which I'm, I don't know if you would have come up with. So I'll give you the four that I came up with. And they were Matty Everington. Another, yep. another obviously good friend of ours, Stuart Slater, uh, my first ever favourite West Ham player, um, and uh, another person we've had the pleasure to interview recently, Kevin Keane. Well, I couldn't remember if he de- which if Slater or Keane definitely played on the left, but from memory, Keane. I think they did because Keane, I remember being on the left and Robson being on the right one season, as in Mark Robson. So I'm pretty sure Kevin Keane did. And I'm pretty sure Slater was on the left when he played. Um, So I'm going to trust my long distance memory and say he did. And the one I came up with, and I don't know 100% if he was definitely a winger, but according to Wikipedia, he was. And I looked through it. He's one of West Ham's like all-time highest um, goal scorers and um, is a fella called Malcolm Musgrove. I know the name. I know the name. Yeah, uh, it wasn't one of my choices, actually. So I think you've done an Ernie Gregory on me there. Yeah. Um, well, if, if what, I What's bring, the story with Malcolm then? Do you know the stats? If I bring him up now, so I'll just go him on Wikipedia. So he played from West Ham from 1953 to 1962, and it says his position is left wing, according to Wikipedia, and he played 283 games, and he scored 84 goals. So we're talking like one in four. He scored, 
you know, and I know positions weren't exactly the same as what they are now, but um, you know, this is a guy that like was one of our all-time top scorers, like with eighty-four goals, and he played and he played left wing according to this, and he played for us for nine years, um, and so. Uh, to know it makes me very it makes him a very good shout i would have said oh do you know what i our, think that makes him the best shout. Well, he was our top scorer one season as well that's how i came upon his name because i was just typing in when i was looking at forwards actually i typed in like west ham's season top scorers and i just went through them to see if they were internationally capped or not and he was one of them one season and um yeah and he's not got an international cap so yeah i mean my choice was matty everton mm. Um, just purely because of the player that he was, entertaining to watch, fast, skillful, great cross, such an intelligent player, and some good memories from Matt. But I'm not sure you can put him in over Malcolm. Well, you know? well I've just clicked on another West Ham website. This is called X Hammers website, and it says, you know, Malcolm Musgrove, a key member of the 57 58 winning season, blah, blah, blah. The former left winger who scored nine goals in that promotion winning season. So he obviously was a left wing. And then it says Muzzy scored 85 goals in 282 league games. The Irons, a remarkable tally for a winger. Yeah, it is. It is a remarkable tally. Yeah. I think we've got to go with him, X. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, like I said, I've never even, I've never seen him play. I've never even, I mean, I think I have heard of him, but I certainly haven't like, you know, heard of him that much. I mean, I'm looking through Twitter headlines, uh, sorry, Google headlines, and this one here, it says Malcolm Musgrove, West Ham United's goal-scoring wing wizard. So mm. he obviously, back in the day, was a was yeah. a very good player. So. Yeah. Let's put him on the left wing, mate. I think he's got to be. I think okay. he's got to be. Right, well, c- central midfield, um, like Dixie at left back, one of them picks itself, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's got to be Billy Bond, surely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. how the fucking hell X did he never put on an England shirt? It's incredible, isn't it? Ridiculous, ridiculous, mate. So this is why I found it hard, because I actually came up with quite a lot of really good central midfielders. So you think, obviously, Billy Bonds is the obvious choice. And then I'd probably say Mark Noble has to be the second choice. Um, mm. So I came up with him. But then I thought Ian Bishop, Martin Allen, George mm. Paris, Alan Dickens, John Moncur, Kevin Nolan. Um, and then I looked, and also... Ronnie Boyce is down as a, as a midfielder and you know he had a great career for West Ham um, mm. you know and also as a, a coach in later years as well so I'm thinking my gosh there's loads of options there which is why I was tempted to get rid of the wingers and go with three of them and maybe have a midfielder of Billy Bonds uh, Mark Noble as sort of your more box-to-box sort of midfielders and then have Bish in between them spraying all the balls around and stuff um so but yeah I think if we're going for two for me it has to be um Bonds and Noble. Snap. Yeah. I'm exactly the same, mate. I mean, Noble really, if anything else, for his time at West Ham, I mean, you talk about the reasons why you put Tim Breaker at right back. Not only was he a good player, but the service he gave this club, you can say exactly the same for Nobes. I mean, not only has he given an unbelievable amount of service, he's still here. He's been the captain of West Ham. Um, Great player. And also, you know, when I look at that final season at the Bowling, realistically, and I try and be unbiased when I say this, I genuinely think that was a season that he should have been looked at by England. Mm-hmm. I really think that it would have been fair for him to at least have made the squad. So I think Bonds and Noble, you, you put some good shouts in there, by the way, but I think Bonds and Noble, I'm more than happy with those two. Yeah, I just had a look at... Um... 
the Holland game they won three two, and it's so typical. Big so this nice. is the this is the second game I haven't watched. Right, so I've watched every other game so far, <laughs> and it starts my um my feed on Sky Sports. It says full time. It's all over in Amsterdam, and the Netherlands have got themselves over the finish line. One incredible game, the best of the tournament so far. And shock, I haven't watched him. <laughs> <laughs> In fairness, I didn't watch Austria v North Macedonia earlier either. So uh, so it's not necessarily true. But yeah, that's that. Right, so forwards, there's one obvious choice for me, very obvious. Yeah. And then there was a lot of very good contenders to partner him. So Okay, so the obvious one is Paolo. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah it's got to be Paolo is the obvious one. So so he's hit, we'll put him in. And then the contenders for me, there's loads of really good ones, mate. So you got Pop Robson, whose goal scoring record in two spells at West Ham was very, mm-hmm. very good. And my dad said, and I think it was maybe Trevor Brookings said it as well, he was the best finisher that the club, you know, that had ever been even perhaps better than Jeff Hurst in terms of finishing. Um, a fellow called Billy Jennings, who was uh, very prolific for us as well um, in the 70s. David Cross, you know, a great player, great character. Alan mm. Taylor, obviously scored very important goals to West Ham. Marlon Harewood, um, very good at, at times. Antonio, as I've already said. Um, Trevor Morley, you know, I think he's a very underrated player for us. Um, so, yeah, they were the main ones I came up with. Yeah, well, you named one of the players that I came up with, and that was Pop Robson. Mm. So I went with Paolo and Pop up front. Now, I can only rely on videotapes as a kid and older friends and family. By all accounts, he was a phenomenal player. And fans will tell you that, but like you rightly say, players will tell you that as well. Mm. Every ex-player that's ever played with Pop will tell you just how good he was. And it's funny, you know, he loved to go back to a club as well. West Ham twice, Sunderland twice, Carlisle three times. Um, and I think he was our club record signing at the time, 120 grand from what I could see. Um, so I went with Pop on that. And uh, again, I'm quite comfortable. I think him and Paolo up front, I think this 11, to be honest, is phenomenal, really. Yeah, well, that was the two I went for as well. I mean, oh, was it? Yeah, he's scoring record. I mean, I was very torn with Antonio. I'm not going to lie. It was very close between, because I thought Decanio and Antonio would be fucking exciting. Because, you, yeah. you know, you got Paolo with all the skills and trickery and creativity. And then you got Antonio just for his sort of physicality and pace and, and stuff. And I thought, you know, Paolo sort of behind him, playing the balls through, creating space, creating opportunities. And Antonio being as direct as he is, I thought, wow, that would be a great partnership. But then when I look at Pop Robson scoring, you know, his first spell at West Ham, 120 games, 47 goals. These are obviously league games. And his second spell, he almost averaged one in two, 107 games, 47 goals. You know, how he didn't really play for England. You know, he had a phenomenal record at Newcastle, phenomenal mm. record at Sunderland. You know, then he went to Carlisle, who I'm assuming don't know what league they're in at the time, but very good scoring record there. So he, you know, he's clearly a very talented player. Um, we were going to get him at an event once, weren't we? Um, yeah. Shame we haven't. I mean, he's yeah. 75 now, so we better speed things up a bit if we are. <laughs> um, so, um, but like, he, um, yeah, like, um, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to go with him as well, mate. Good. Okay. Well, it's nice because I think we've, We've come to a mutual decision on this 11 quite easily. So to recap, we've, we've got a 4-4-2 formation with Ernie Gregory in goal, Tim Breaker right back, a centre-half partnership with Tony Gow and Stevie Potts, Dixie left back, Mark Wald on the right in midfield, Billy Bonds and Mark Noble central, Malcolm Musgrove on the left, 
Paolo Di Canio up front with a striking partner of uh, Pop Robson. And I'll tell you what, that's a fucking good 11, that. It is, mate. It is, mate. I mean, that's, uh, you're going to get entertainment there, aren't you? And you've got all mm. sorts of players. You've got, you know, you know, the likes of Paolo and his sort of creativity and his maverickness. And you've got the sort of Billy Bonds, Mark Noble, you know, diehard West Ham, sort of you know, put everything on the line. Wardy, I guess, could come under that that category mm. as well. You've got Gow and Potts who have already had a partnership. You know, that set that defence really actually. It's a bit of a, a 90s um, pairing, isn't it? Really, if you think late 80s, mm. early 90s, mm. you know, they all would have played with each other many games together. So, so yeah, then you've got Ernie Gregory, one of the most, I guess he must be one of, but probably behind Phil Parks, I guess, um, one of the most highest appearances for for a keeper at West Ham. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I think that's a good team, mate. The subspent should be strong as well. Yeah, good stuff. I enjoyed that. Okay, that's our 11. Let us know yours on Patreon. So earlier on, we spoke to the winner of this season's West Ham Way Premier League Predictions Competition. This is Jerry Harrington. Jerry, you are the winner of the 2021 West Ham Way Premier League Predictions Competition. I'm sure you're lost for words, but if we can ask you to try and tell us how you're feeling, what would you say? Oh, I'm still, I'm still gathering myself. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a long season, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> yeah. you've, got to, you've got to do your homework, look at the stats, the eye test, mix it all together and uh, try to come out with that match-winning formula. And I think... I just about did it this year with, with some great competition with, with, with the lads around me. So what would you say is the secret to your success? I mean, to be honest with you, I think in current circumstances, it's all a bit lucky, really, isn't it? Um, so would you say, <laughs> you say luck's the main reason? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the magic ingredient, really. No, don't thought, say that, Jerry. Thought, Do not fucking say. tell him that. <laughs> thought so. we'll, we'll see what happens next year. When it's a bit more <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Jerry, what, what's your and secret? And Be and serious. And that, that concludes the interview. Thanks, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, you know, if I had to, if I had to put it down to something, it's like, um, yeah, it's a little bit like kind of approach, like trying to make a game out of it, gamifying it. So seeing where you can make, seeing what the most efficient choices may be over necessarily the one that you really think is the right result. Um, in fancy football podcasts, they talk a little bit about this swords and shields thing. So the West Ham prediction is massive. If you think that the majority are going to go with a West Ham win, even if your gut says a West Ham loss, uh, which, you know, of course, it, it never should. Um, but if you do, maybe the best thing to, is to go with a win because, yeah, the average uh, will, go for the, will go for the most, um, yeah, common results. You've got to kind of gamify it a little bit. Uh, and then it's just about, I think, watching enough games to kind of go with your gut and really know where you can pick up points with the kind of surprising wins, the surprising draws here and there throughout the season, the away, the away wins as well. Interesting. So if you were to give any hints or tips to players of this predictions league, that's what you would say, is it? And X, listen to what Jerry's about to say now. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the yellow card thing was another <laughs> area where I think he gave the game away a little bit there at a certain point, you know, when he shared, shared that little nugget of... Um, yeah, that the yellow it's, shouldn't have done that. It's so common. Mm. Yeah, you would have ran, ran away with it otherwise. Um, I fucking no, did if, run away with no, it. No, if the game had carried on to the normal weeks, it would have been very close, actually. As a, <laughs> very close, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of a dispute there. But uh, <laughs> another, another interesting statistic I read somewhere that the most common results for a football match is, is 2-1. 
Uh, so that's kind of the default result if you're if you're very stuck. I'm kind of giving all of the secrets away here, but you know, I'm, I might only get on this podcast once, so I might as well give, <laughs> give them all out. It's a it's a new game next year, so let's see if the same uh, tactic works. Well, you nearly got on the podcast last year because I didn't realise this, Jerry, but you actually finished third last season, didn't you? Which is incredible. It tells us that you seriously do know your shit. <laughs> it, it was funny because I was leading um, when the COVID break happened, you know? So part of me was sort of hoping they'd call a quit, you know, to the season that I, and that'd be, uh, by default, crowned the winner. Um, but then when we came <laughs> back, the, the guys around me, you know, they just they played a much better game and they beat me. And then it was the opposite this year. Uh, where I was, you know, a little bit worried about it. Maybe if, if the game stopped, oh, what's going to happen? Am I going to win? Am I not going to win? Um, but yeah, fair play to you guys and the and Ciro and the and the rest of them for trying to get the game back. Um, I think you handled it very well. I mean, as as you're the man when it comes to predictions, what do you predict for West Ham next season? Oh wow! Um, when I, when I heard you guys make your predictions at the start of last year, um, Dave was really I think you were more the more optimistic of the two of you, right, Dave? You were kind of saying you'd be disappointed with anything lower than eighth or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if I'm totally honest, I probably would have sided closer with X. He was saying something around 10th, and I just, you know, going on form mm. um, of the previous seasons and how we played, I didn't really see us justifying a finish as high as, he, as you know, as eighth, as you'd say, Dave, or, or even as high as we actually ended up finishing. Um, so... Yeah, I think if I if I said anything less than Champions League, you know, I'd be I'd be disappointing myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> if we can get the boys playing well, you know, if, if we can get Lingard and he can continue the form that he's had, uh, pick up a striker. Hopefully, Antonio's um, yeah, elastic band hamstrings keep going, and and mo- most importantly, hold on to Declan Rice. He's yeah, he's just he's the linchpin. Mm. Mm, absolutely. Well, it's been an incredible season, Jerry. What do you think the success is down to? Uh, yeah, um, it seems to be the team spirit thing, doesn't it? Like getting everybody singing off the same hymn sheet. You hear so much about uh, what good friends all the lads are, you know, people coming in and training on their days off. Um, it seems like the, the Czech boys have a really great work ethic. And I guess when you've got a few key characters that are acting that way, everybody kind of follows suit. Uh, and I don't think we can you know, take anything away from, from the great job that David Moyes has done. I think we were all surprised that he, that he achieved everything that he did, but pleasantly surprised at that. And I'm really glad that he's, I think, put pen to paper on another three years, right? Mm, that's right. Yeah, he has. Um, I also would say that when the chips were down, um, maybe not having some fans in the stadium made it a little bit uh, easier for the players to perform again. Uh, with a little mm. a little bit of pressure off them, you know. Mm, Who would you say was the hammer of the year last year? Um, impossible to look beyond Declan Rice. He's mm. a victim of his own success. Um, mm. I think, mm. yeah, far too often, even even myself, I've voted on the uh, on the Patreon for people other than Declan because it's almost yeah we just come to expect this high level of performance every week. Um, but yeah, the I mean the guys that you that you picked out uh, the obvious picks. Um, Suchek as well was phenomenal. I'd have him as a close second, and then yeah, the heroics of um, uh, Sufal definitely. And and for periods, if I think if Antonio was fit all of the season, or you had Jesse Lingard performing the way that he did for the whole season, it would be a really tight pick up there at the top. Mm-hmm. Well, the transfer window is now open. If you were David Moyes, Jerry, what type of players would you be looking to sign? 
Um, I yeah, well, I guess it, it connecting to the fact that the success is down to the the work ethic and the camaraderie in the, in the dressing room. I'd definitely be avoiding some of the kind of yeah, the prima donnas, the the big personalities. I would I would take a big step away from Marco Arnautovic personally. Um, I know I know you're you're fond of MX because he scores goals, but I just worry about the kind of the effect that he could have on the rest of the dressing room if he if he decides to uh yeah strop off or whatever ask for another raise although he, he it sounded like he was very popular um mm-hmm. yeah i guess lads with a proper work rate um yeah it's always talked about with david that he's he, he'll look at the uh the championship and some of the hard-working lads that are looking to prove themselves there uh and maybe yeah the likes of tammy abraham would be a it would be a really nice striker addition right but uh a big budget move there. Mm, so, so are you going to win the predictions league next year, mate? I'm going to do my absolute best. I mean, I've given away all of my trade secrets at this point, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I'll win it. But yeah, if I can finish in the top five again, I'll uh, I'll be really really happy with that. Yeah, I mean that would be amazing, mate. Because I think you said as well you did really well in the fantasy football as well, and that that obviously requires much more skill than the prediction league. So I know gives a fuck to, about that. It's a moody competition. Why stop interrupting me? It's, it's not the way to present. What you take it in terms of questions here. So, like, so as, as I was saying, that like, the predictions league is, is great. You know, top top finishes all the time, and also in the fantasy league where it requires weekly skill um, fuck, of, of all teams. And I, I'd just like to say you obviously very very good at get what you do and I, I think you'd be you could be uh, a little tipster somewhere if there was something you were looking to do do on the side well you know if you ever need a little bit of help next year x you know i'll give you my number give me a text we don't well have he will he will need that help jerry <laughs> he, he you, will mate. need that because he's on the fucking bones of his ass mate he's lost to me twice now so he will need that help Reigning champion, actually. We had a two-week league and I smashed it. Dave got zero. I might add. Yeah, I didn't even fucking play. That's why. Poor organisation. And I still would have won overall. No, poor organisation. Oh, you boys. I'm looking forward <laughs> to this next year. You are going to keep going next year, please. You've got to keep the drama for the for the listeners. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I think it's a bit Mickey Mouse. I might move on to something else. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I might actually give X maybe a, a four-week head start where I just don't play for the first four games. Maybe I think that's fair, Jerry, do you reckon? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll give you a hand, X. We'll get the training wheels on and you'll be fine. <laughs> I'd love it if I beat him next year. I tell you, I would love it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, I've got to ask you, you are an Irishman living in Copenhagen. Where does your love for West Ham come from? Oh, yeah, Um this is a bizarre one now as well, I guess. My my dad is actually one of 12 being, um, you know, uh, from a certain generation of um, Irish Catholics, big, big families, lots of brothers and sisters. Wow. And um, so I think in those days, Leeds was a very big team. Some of his brothers were into them. Um, and then for him to pick, he actually collected in his like Panini sticker book, uh, all of the West Ham players. It was the first team that he collected all of. Um, and yeah, he got an affinity for them through that uh, and then passed that on to me. Um, so it was a bit of a random pick. And I think um, watching the, it was the FA Cup final against Liverpool that properly instilled in me like that this was a team that I really, really, really loved and wanted to see more of. That, I think that was like, that match really properly got me into football. Um, and then after that, I got, I, I have seen um, them play three times in the flesh of, of I got to see them play uh, in the Carling Cup against Stoke uh, in Upton Park. 
we came back from from one nil down uh, to win three one. I think uh, Parker scored like in the eightieth, some eighty something minute. It was it was so exciting. Um, yeah, the buzz, the fans, uh, and then all the abuse actually that the fans were giving the players during the match. That was, <laughs> uh, that, was that was as as funny as anything. It was as entertaining as the win. Um, and then I have a real collector's item in that I saw us play Watford at the, at the Olympic Stadium. So I did actually get to see Jordan Hugo get out on the pitch and get a few minutes uh, under, oh, wow. the, under the bubbles or whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> that was a special one. Uh, it's a bit of a strange question, but I think people would be curious. I mean, what, what was the mood in Denmark like yesterday? Because obviously that the whole incident that happened on the pitch and, you know, they obviously resumed the game a bit later and, you know, mm. and he's an absolute sort of legend of Danish football, I would imagine. Um, how, how did the country kind of react and how is it sort of today? I mean, I guess it's a bit of a national shock, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, as I've mentioned before, uh, the the atmosphere before the game was was really electric. The the restrictions here in Denmark have been sort of um, gradually reducing as time has gone by. We've we have this opportunity to get tested for free here, um, so we've been you know going into shops, going into bars, going to get a haircut, all of these things for quite a long time. Um, but the start of the Euros really felt like this uh, like really unifying moment. Uh, you know, all the Danes were in the pub like arm in arm with you know, total strangers, <laughs> not so socially distanced, but uh, everyone was, uh, I guess, negative to get into the pub. Um, and then, yeah, uh, we were in such a good uh, good mood. There was great form. And then as he, as he went down, I guess because he was off the ball, um, the people who were really focusing and hadn't had a few too, too many fears at that point realized that it was actually probably quite a serious moment. Um, and then they started to just show an aerial uh, view of the stadium. Um, and at that point, we realised, yeah, something really quite serious is happening. Oh, so they actually managed to cut the footage then, did they? Like, so you you didn't see what we saw in England then? No, no, we didn't actually. Um, because we, yeah, we we were told that there was they had no like a re, no ability to almost cut it. So in England, you pretty much saw everything. You saw him being resuscitated on the pitch. You saw his um, wife come down to the sideline and so on. And everyone's obviously criticising the BBC. And the BBC's response has been that, it, you know, they didn't have the a power to. But obviously, D- Danish TV companies were able to. Yeah, Jesus, unless I had a few too many pints at that time and I didn't, I didn't see it. But no, me and the people that I was sitting with, we didn't, um, we didn't see any of that. I think I remember Schmeichel uh, waving over to the sideline and wanting people to come over and uh, the first aiders getting there. Um, mm-hmm. But then after that, I like we didn't see much more. And I was actually messaging my own family that were watching it on BBC. Um, and we knew some people that were in the stadium and they were saying, you know, they have a sheet around him. And, you know, some of these things about uh, him having an oxygen mask on. And, mm-hmm. and from from our from our um, broadcasting in the pub anyway, we couldn't see any of that. So we didn't know that he was sort of responsive or awake or anything. So, yeah, very subdued atmosphere. People started to sort of, you know, people were hugging each other filing back out of the pub I guess they just wanted some fresh air um and then you know we saw a message that he was um awake and and stable and everyone was obviously overjoyed they started to file back into the pub because then the match uh was going to start again I guess the players made the decision that you know it would have been difficult to go home and go to bed uh and sleep at all that night and then to get up the next day and and, and finish off a game that was probably one of the most traumatic they'd ever played uh, wasn't something they really wanted to do, so they were just going to get it over and done with right there. And then, a lot of the, a couple of the players, right, the, the captain didn't actually come back on and play. He was a little bit too um, shook up after it. 
so yeah, the, there's been a really, a really strange um, buzz around. Not not many people out watching the uh, the Netherlands Ukraine game or any of the other games outside of the pubs today. I think people kind of needed a day off. Mm. Mm. Well, Jerry, it's been great talking to you, mate. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for playing the game, and thanks for your continued support, mate. It's very much appreciated. No, it's a, it's such a pleasure, lads, and I I just thank you so much. You've been a a part of my my life every week for so long. Um, and I know a lot of people have said it to you before um, that you're a great help to people when they're having a bit of a tough time in the lockdowns. Actually, it was it was I I was having a little bit of anxiety at the beginning of the of the lockdown, and I was finding it really difficult to sleep. And uh, strangely enough, I think I felt it, fell asleep listening to James Collins, Jack Collison, and Peter Butler for about two weeks. <laughs> Fucking hell, are interviews like <laughs> I was going to say, or was it just when Dave was talking about the prediction? Yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, understand that. <laughs> no, but you know what it was? It was? It was the familiarity. You know, I couldn't. I I, I was just having a difficult time sleeping, and um, just putting putting yeah. on like the sound of what you think of nearly as two mates, and they were fantastic interviews peter butler in particular man what an interesting mm. fella what an interesting career. yeah, yeah. Uh, it ended up becoming something that was just like a like a meditation app something you could listen to and kind of zone out so thank you for that you were my medicine for a little while <laughs> no, no no pleasure mate it's, it's nice to think i mean i've never really thought of sending people to sleep before as a positive but <laughs> definitely definitely in that case i can understand now you've explained it a bit but uh yeah no, <laughs> but, thank you and, I, and as i said like you know david i just flattered that people want to listen to what essentially is two mates um just talking about West Ham and then it helps people you know if we can, if we can help anyone and, and that's a good thing isn't it so uh no I appreciate you saying no no worries lads and thanks for going to Patreon so I don't have to go on Twitter and look, look at all <laughs> of the chaos there as well <laughs> <laughs> absolutely mate top man Jerry Congratulations to Jerry on winning the competition. That was a great effort and he's a top lad too. We'll be launching the competition again next month in preparation for the new season, so watch this space. Okay, it's time to see what's what from the man who knows. To listen to the rest of this podcast, you need to be a patron of the West Ham Way. Becoming a patron couldn't be easier. Just visit www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the West Ham Way and confirm your subscription to get full access to the West Ham Way podcast, our second weekly show called the West Ham Way Podcast Extra Time, classic clips of audio and video interviews, exclusive news from X, match day team news before anyone else, an exclusive forum, live Q&As with myself and X, monthly prize draws, discounts on events and merchandise, and behind-the-scenes content, all of which for just £5 a month. It's Macy's Labor Day sale, so gear up as summer cools down with 30% off timeless looks from Levi's and specials like 30 to 50% off statement-making shoes for her and 60% off luggage from Samsonite and more. Or use your coupon or Macy's card and get an extra 20% off more great deals. Plus, Star Rewards members can earn rewards even faster during Macy's Star Money bonus days. Going on now. Savings off regular sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. 
If you run a small business, efficiency has never been more important. So for a limited time, Comcast Business is introducing small business savings. Call now to get powerful internet for just $39 a month for 12 months with no annual contract and a money-back guarantee. All on the largest, fastest, reliable network for small businesses. Comcast Business. Powering possibilities. Ends 92122 requires EcoBill and AutoPay. Restrictions apply. New business 50 megabits per second customers only. Equipment taxes and other charges extra and subject to change. After promo, regular rates apply. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.